Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina, board certified psychiatrist in South Florida. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey, 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 guys, it's Dr. Delvina. Yes. yes, board certified psychiatrist in South Florida. And I just wanted to tell you about some ways you can follow me. First of all, you can get in touch with me by sending an email to info, I-N-F-O, at D-R, as in doctor, at drdelvina.help. That's H-E-L-P, so info at drdelvina.help. That's spelled D-R, D as in Delta, E-L, V as in Victor, E-N-A, dot help, H-E-L-P. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. They are um, matching now. So it used to be my Instagram was a little different than my Facebook page, and that Facebook page got taken down. So now they're both the same, which they are both Dr. Delvina, D-R, D as in Delta, E-L, V as in Victor, E-N-A. And my website used to be drdelvina.help, but I'm redoing the website so soon it will be launched and it will be Dr. Delvina, so doctor abbreviated again, D-R-D-E-L, V as in Victor, E-N-A, help, H-E-L-P dot com. You may also follow my office, which is D-R-T, Brain Love. We are DRT Behavioral Services, PLLC, but we go by DRT Brain Love on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Please feel free to follow all and subscribe to those pages. And our website is uh, brainlovehelp.com, B-R-A-I-N-L-O-V-E-H-E-L-P.com. Everything is about help. And we also have a website for us, for our spa and also for our um, CBD and uh, medicinal cannabis licensure. So there's links for those um, websites on DRT Brain Love website as well as on my website when it launches. But feel free to subscribe to all of the um, podcast platforms. Please subscribe on iHeartRadio, on Pandora, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on Apple Podcasts. And if you're um, a member on Anchor, which is Anchor by Spotify, please feel free to subscribe on Anchor as well. As you know, the more subscribers you have, the better. I do appreciate the the subscribers that I have to date. And some of you have been with me since the podcast started in May 2020. So we're in our third year, and I appreciate your support. And if you're sending a monthly contribution, I appreciate that support. And if you're not sending a contribution, but you're listening on a regular basis, I greatly appreciate that support as well. If you haven't already done so, please uh, do a rating on your favorite podcast platform and share it with other people, man. All right. Remember, brain love. Hey, guys. Good evening. It's another Sunday night. And it's time for another episode of the Brain Love Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Delvina Thomas, a board-certified psychiatrist in South Florida. And tonight I'm trying to intermingle two different things here, and and hopefully I'm successful in, in how I do this. So we know that October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And um, going into November, right, in a couple of days, it'll be November. In November, we have Veterans Day. So tonight, the guest on my couch is a woman who deserves to be recognized for breast cancer awareness as well as for her role that she has played in the U.S. Army. So my guest tonight is Dr. Major Stephanie Anderson. She is a physician. You'll hear more about her in the introduction in tonight's interview. But she's joining me on the couch to talk about her experience 
I wasn't sure if to call it a battle or an experience. And I think I'm going to go with experience. Her experience in coping with the diagnosis and also the treatment of breast cancer. Major Stephanie Anderson had breast cancer during COVID, during coronavirus 19. And her story is a different story because we're talking about fear, we're talking about uncertainty, and we are talking about her book that she that she wrote. And this this book, Live Until You Die, is based on her experience in dealing with this challenging situation in her life. Now, this was a different challenge from some than some other people because cancer runs in her family. She had a cousin who passed away just, you know, days or weeks before she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I am so grateful to her for joining me on the couch and just opening up her heart. That's what you hear in the background. You hear Miss Yolanda Adams open my heart. Major Anderson has opened her heart to talk to us on the couch, and I want you guys to hear her story. I am not going to say anything else about her story because I want it to come from her, but I just, I get goosebumps every time I think about her, and when I first learned from her that she was going through this experience, I was just like, wow, like the bravery the courage, the fortitude, the faith, the faith that someone has to have in saying that whatever's meant to be is going to be. It doesn't matter what I do, what the doctors do, what the surgeons do. And so you guys know, as lay people, it can be difficult to navigate these waters when you've been diagnosed with a major medical illness or disorder. And it's not any different either for a physician. Major Anderson is not an oncologist. She's not a cancer doctor. She's a board-certified family and emergency medicine physician. So join us on the couch tonight as she opens up her heart and, um, and she shares her story. And I would encourage you to share this story with any other woman, any, any other man. Any other person who may also be navigating the waters, they may have a difficult diagnosis that is challenging their faith. Maybe they too were diagnosed with cancer or breast cancer. I think this will bring them hope if they're struggling with hope and with faith. So join us on the couch, guys. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey, 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 guys. It's Sunday night, and I'm back on the couch, and tonight I have a guest. I have Dr. Stephanie Anderson, MD, MBA, on the couch with me, and we're talking about her book, Live Until You Die, A Physician's Perspective on Fear and Uncertainty. Welcome to the couch, Dr. Anderson. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. And might I add also Major Anderson. So she is Dr. Slash Major Anderson. Uh, Dr. Anderson is also a member of the U.S. Army Reserve. And did you spend some time as an enlisted soldier as well, right, before you switched over to the officer side of the house? Mm-hmm, I did. I actually went in straight out of high school, served from E1 to E6, um, so from private to staff sergeant in seven years, then got out for 10 and came back while I was in residency um, for student loan repayment and then mm-hmm. been in for 16 years since then. Wow. Wow. So six, was that, you said 10 years or six years after high school? Six years uh, and then you took 10 years off. That's right. Okay. So um, in the 19 years you've been an officer, was that, does that include the six years of enlisted or that's 19 in addition to your six? 16 including. 
Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Well, all right. Now, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for serving our country. Thank you for your service. My pleasure. Thank you for your service. It's a pleasure to serve with you. That's right. So guys, uh, Dr. Major Anderson and I are in the same unit in North Carolina, uh, the 108th Training Command. We are both in the command surgeon's office and um, we worked with a wonderful chief nurse officer who is now retired. But yeah, so we're um, in the same, the same department um, at the same unit. So it's been a pleasure working with you. And actually when we started working together, it was during COVID. Yes, it was. Um, and I think we were actually out of the unit for a while before we even got to meet face to face. Yeah, yeah. I um I think you you were already in, in the unit and when I transferred to the unit, um it was during COVID that I can't even actually remember when my orders were effective, but COVID was happening. Let's just say that. Um and the first time I went to visit the unit, it was during COVID and folks were working from home. Um, and I just went on like an, an off day just so I could kind of in process some things. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I guess we didn't meet one another for about a year, maybe. That's, that's about right. Yeah, but had, I guess, plenty of interaction virtually. So that was a good thing. Because um, it kind of solidified the, the great relationship that we all have working together and accomplishing what we need to do. Yeah, you guys have heard me say that I'm a board certified psychiatrist. Well, Dr. Anderson is a board certified family and emergency medicine physician. She's also like I am a philanthropist. She speaks, she's a writer as, as such, she's an author. She wrote this book. She's a consultant, a resilience trainer. As I told you guys, a soldier. And I didn't know this, an actor. Yes, I actually recently got back into modeling and acting. Wanted to do it quite a bit when I was little or when I first went in the military. Of course, some things take priority and military was one of those. Um, so didn't really have a lot of time, but I've always enjoyed acting and just being silly or doing something different or being different. Um, so I recently got back into it and actually did some workshops and some training with the agency in Knoxville um, and it's been pretty interesting not what I expected at all <laughs> wow okay that's new for me yeah. um nice so yeah. guys while you're listening to this if you're not driving if you're not in your car if you're not um bicycling on your peloton or out running and listening to the podcast go on and if you are make a note and you can come back and listen to this section go to purpose for today.com that's p-u-r-p-o-s-e-f-o-r today t-o-d-a-y.com this is where dr anderson connects and inspires and learns from others while managing this blog platform that she has so you have a blog page i do I actually started what? during oh, the pan during the pandemic and kind of during my time off as well. Um, so a little bit different outlet to kind of express, and um, it was actually very therapeutic. I think it's therapeutic. So what happens on that blog? Are you sharing information, and then people ask you questions, or they respond to something you? you post it in your blog post or um, what's happening actually on purposefortoday.com? So now the routine is kind of sharing a new blog monthly and it's usually about um, just life situations, life woes or something that happened or somebody I talked to that inspired a certain story or just different things, different interactions actually kind of inspire it. And I never know the when or the where, it just kind of happens. So usually I do a, a original one or a new one once a month, and it's usually the first Friday of the month. And then the second, uh, no, the third week, I'll actually repost one that's been posted previously. 
Um, so yes, people can go on and actually read the blog, make comments, ask questions, share thoughts, share any information they feel, and yeah, we can collaborate that way. So just kind of a way for us to kind of get together or just to act, offer sometimes a different perspective or a different way of maybe looking at something that we've seen for so long and didn't really think about it that way. Mm. Yeah, I will sign up to get your mailing list. I'm looking now at your mm. at your website. Um, and there's something on here, a quote that you have posted by a Annie Dillard. Um, quote, appreciate where you are in your journey, even if it's not where you want to be. Every season serves a purpose, close quote. Yes. So that really spoke to me, um, especially during that season and time in my life. Uh, I knew that and I had been taught that. However, some things just don't become real till you're actually going through something that kind of solidifies that within you so that quote in and of itself is like hey there's so much happening and so many things we can't control in life and so many different events but it shouldn't make us appreciate any less we don't have to agree with it we don't have to always understand it we don't have to prefer it but at the end of the day it's still our journey so there's something that we may we're may supposed to get from it or something we're supposed to learn from it or something we're supposed to share in it. So it, it's easier to appreciate that moment because fast forward, I think in the end, and just me from speaking from my experience, I wouldn't have chosen any of this journey that I went through. It wouldn't have been my choice um, to choose to have breast cancer or to not work for 18 months or to start a blog but the situation happened and it opened up so many different opportunities just based upon one I had the time and availability and two then I had a different experience or a different perspective to look at life so I've learned to appreciate I wouldn't have chose the journey but it's been absolutely nothing but a blessing for me So, folks, you're listening to Major Dr. Anderson, and we're uh, talking about her book tonight, which is Live, Die, but it's Live Until You Die. If you um, see the, the, the cover for the book, you'll see why I said Live, Die. Um, and Dr. Anderson is sharing with us her journey. I mentioned that she and I met during COVID. It was during COVID, too, that I believe I learned from you. Um, that you were battling breast cancer during COVID. Yes, it was. Actually, I think I had got to the unit. I transferred to the unit the same month I was actually having surgery, which was interesting. Um, So shortly after that, um, I was doing schooling and different things. And like you said, we weren't in the office. And I think some different things came up where we had conversations about it. And the, I think the most interesting thing is most people who hear it from me, they just look at me when I say it, I guess, because I don't feel like I have a sad story. I don't think I have a sad story. And most people are like, well, I don't know if that's just something I would be publicizing. But for me, yes, because you never know at the end of the day who's going through what or what's helpful to who. And sometimes just being open and exposing, it it can be helpful. So yes, we did talk about that during that time for some reason. It was probably something due to a process that I need to do in the military. And I was like, oh yeah, that happened. Just kind of (laughs) casually. Yeah, yeah. You're originally from Mississippi, which folks have heard me say repeatedly that my family Um, my origins began in Mississippi, my origins here in the United States, I should say, began in Mississippi. Yeah. Yeah. What part of Mississippi are you from? I'm from Carthage, a little town, um, about an hour outside of Jackson. And yourself? Uh, Clarksdale and Jonestown. Okay. Clarksdale. It's in the Delta. So I was born in Mount Bayou, which is probably not even 40 miles from Clarksdale. 
okay. So, you know, when you first told me that you had breast cancer, I was like, oh my gosh, wow. Um, because it's such, even for me as a physician, someone enduring that journey is, it's an impressive feat, you know, and I want to hear their story because it's one of those things where it's a diagnosis that I'm sure as physicians, um, well, obviously I'm a psychiatrist, so I'm not rendering that diagnosis to my patients. However, in the hospitals at times, I'm the consultant after a patient has been diagnosed and the oncologist or, you know, their internist, whoever's taking care of them in the hospital, the attending will order a psychiatry consult because people have a difficult time accepting the diagnosis. Um, because, you know, we all have automatic thoughts right away when we hear someone say cancer. Mm -hmm. And if you're medically knowledgeable, you have certain automatic thoughts when you hear about certain cancers. Uh, breast cancer has a, a pretty good prognosis, um, and especially if it is just in the breast, you know, we, we don't have to get into those details, and I don't even know if you want to share that, but mm -hmm. um, make, become, being so vulnerable in writing this book um, about fear mm -hmm. and the uncertainty, and, and by uncertainty, do you, were you referring to being uncertain about what God had in store for you moving forward after receiving that diagnosis? Um, to a certain degree. And I think a lot of it was to, am I going to be here any longer? Um, because like you said, initially hearing a diagnosis, breast cancer, um, yeah, your mind can go some places and it would be really easy to catastrophize. I think for me, um, hearing it, I was actually um, on my way to work or getting ready to go to work on a night shift, and it was 4 p.m., and the, the nurse practitioner called and said, hey, we need you to get you back into the office, and it, she worked with the surgeon, and I said, ma'am, I'm a physician, so I know that means something wrong. Can you just please tell me because I got to go to work, and she told me, she was like, well, it's DCIS, which has a pretty good prognosis hearing the words DCIS because it's confined to the milk ducts. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll have a military training in two weeks, so I'll be back and then I'll come see y'all. And she was like, do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, ma'am, I sure do. Um, so for me, in my mind, hearing the type kind of gave it perspective for me. But kind of like you said, just hearing cancer in general and having no medical knowledge or even having some medical knowledge. It was a really long night in the ER that night. And of course I did a whole lot of research. So my mind was racing, but at the same time, you have to be on your A game because you're working. I was working in an emergency room, so I have to be focused. Um, but uh, I can say a lot went through my mind at that time and just trying to develop a plan and trying to control what I thought I could, but ultimately I could. <laughs> uh -huh. So did you delay going back into their office two weeks to do your military training stuff or did you go right away? No, I, I went to my annual training in Wisconsin for two weeks and that wasn't happening probably till a week after. So it was probably a month after that I actually got back to go to an appointment. And it was probably more so there was a lot of personal things going on in my family the day before I got my diagnosis, which was July 17th, my cousin died July 16th, and she was 48, and she was diagnosed with cholangial carcinoma, um, which is a cancer of the bowel ducts and the liver, and she had metastasis um, that had already spread. She was diagnosed in January. She died in July, so it was seven months. And in wow. my mind, I couldn't tell my family that. So I went to all of my appointments by myself um, and I didn't even tell my parents until I was actually doing my military training. And I was like, okay, I guess I better tell them since I got this appointment coming up. <laughs> so I was actually thinking more about them and how this was going to affect them. Um, so it, it was just a lot going on, I guess, all at the same time in that moment. Mm 
You know, the first time you told me that I had this um, just profound respect for you that you didn't give in to fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would always hear like when a Christian is grounded and has faith and understands the way of the world and um, God and what he wants for us, ultimately, there is no fear. Mm-hmm. There's no fear. So when you told me, um, admittedly, I thought to myself, like, you you know, sometimes we place ourselves in the other person's shoes right away. And I thought, what would I have done mm-hmm. if they, they shared that? Would I have ran into the office that day or the next day to see someone and hear what my options were? Or would I just been cool about it like Dr. Anderson and just, okay, I'll see you when I get back? You know, because it's just kind of a unspoken, my God is in control of this situation. Really, I'm not in control. Mm-hmm. And you're the nurse, the nurse practitioner, I think you you said is the one who called you. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, your supervisor, your doctor ain't even in control. My God is in control and I, I don't fear anything. Is that what you were feeling at the time? I believe so. Um... I think it's amazing how we go through different life circumstances and I think they build something each time you go through them. Um, so just different situations I had been through in life to get to the point I am today. And I think at this point when I got that diagnosis, I was just like, okay, it's kind of like you're saying, God's in control. Whatever is going to happen is going to happen. If he heals me, great. If he doesn't, it's going to be okay too. I'll go to heaven. So I'm okay either way. And at the end of the day, I don't have control. So I could really go there in my mind. I could really go there in my feelings and emotions. But why? It would stress me out. So I I think I just kind of chose more so to trust that God had my best interest at heart. And furthermore, not the why this is happening to me, but who is this for? Because I believe everything happens to us for a reason. And it's not necessarily for us. It happens to us and it may produce some great things, values, character, integrity, um, love, just different things in us. But at the same time, I I believe it's for somebody else. So I was like, okay, how can I help someone if I haven't been through anything? And what would make me exempt from going through anything? I'm not. Yeah. So kind of having that understanding. The way your book is set up, um, at the end of each chapter, there's a set of questions that you have for the readers. Um, And there's a question about control. Um, You state, we often struggle with the concept of being in control. We think we should be better at making things and people respond the way we expect. But is trying to control circumstances or people really accepting them? And I would say them is probably probably um, asserting accepting the circumstances and the people, um, accepting these circumstances and people for these circumstances and these people's their authentic self. Mm-hmm. So there yeah. there is a question about control. And what that means or what it really doesn't mean. Yes. And and I think the thing for each of us, it's different in how we express it and feel it. Because for me, I think I felt like I've been in control, but not really <laughs> of my life for so long. Yes, you have a dream, you have a goal. And I think sometimes we we um, misunderstand. You think, okay, we have a goal. You work towards that. You accomplish that goal. Then what's the next? And so in my mind, that's some sense of control. But really at the end of the day, when I think back, my path hasn't been anywhere from when I was little that I thought I would be today. It's totally different. So essentially I had no control over anything that's happened. Although I have accomplished some things like being a doctor that I wanted to, um, but the path that was chosen for me, I don't know if I would necessarily agree with it, but 
it, it, it's the journey that I had to walk through and it's not what I expected. So sometimes I think we feel like we are controlling situations or we're able to control people and how they respond to situations. And we really can't. And being honest, one with ourselves and giving ourselves that permission to be free from that and to experience that because it's okay to not be okay about what's happening. That's okay. And most people feel like it isn't. I'm like, no, that's, it's just really okay. But until we're able to experience that and understand it, I don't think we can move forward into learning what that situation has for us or even experiencing people as their authentic selves. Because we always have a preset disposition for some people or preset judgment, although we're not supposed to. Or, you know, everybody shows up with a representative. But at the end of the day, why we can't just be who we are? Unbound. Yeah. There's something you said in your book in chapter five, which is titled Embracing a New Reality. Embracing a New Reality. You Mm -hmm. state, no one knows you better than you. So learn how to motivate and encourage yourself. Too often, we walk around with insecurities, which lead us to value others' opinion more than God's or our own. That, Mm -hmm. when I read it, was very impactful because as a psychiatrist, I know well that people don't know how to encourage themselves and to motivate themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think learning that because the world was set up and it it's not it's not taught a lot and it's not what's the norm. It's not the culture that's accepted. Accepted, especially when we're so tech savvy, social media savvy, where opinions matter. But whose opinion is it? And I think we kind of have been commercialized, even looking at kids now where it has such a big influence, even with my nieces and nephews, I'm kind of saying that and I'm like, well, why did you think that? Or why did you do that? And the answer is usually, I don't know. It's like, huh? You don't know? I'm gonna need you to do a little better than that. But they haven't had the time or they don't know how to look within themselves or to know what they want versus what they're being told they should want. And so I think a Sometimes we really need to take a step back because joy comes from within. And I don't think we can ultimately be happy until we found that joy from within because external things, external factors, people, we think they may make us happy, but that's temporary. And sometimes may happen where you get upset or you get angry and then the happiness goes away. Should it or shouldn't it? You should still be joyful about that person being in your life, right? Whether it's family, friends, or enemy, um, because everybody has their purpose. So I think sometimes we really need to have that perspective of learning what makes us happy, what makes us tick, and being able to tap into that. I think everybody should be able to do that for themselves on an individual basis before, before including the external side of it. Mm. totally agree with you doc totally when we were we were talking previously you mentioned to me about your cousin um being diagnosed with cancer and um succumbing to her to the cancer um you know in less than a year and I believe you mentioned to me also an aunt or another family member who was also battling cancer Mm-hmm. So my cousin's mother, she was diagnosed with, they said breast cancer, maybe four or five years prior to two years ago. And she actually had a reoccurrence, but it actually ended up being in her sternum. So we were all a little confused. And sometimes we just don't know if um, my aunt was sharing all with us. And that's okay, too. It, it was her. It was her story. Mm-hmm. So. Once her daughter died, then of course, I think like any mother, she was brokenhearted. Um, 
that's her oldest baby who's left this world. And she actually got diagnosed again after that. And so she was going through treatments and different things. And it actually came to a point where she had an accident or something had happened where she hurt her back. And she's not a complainer by any means. But she had called me and she's like, well, my back's hurting and I'm dragging my leg. I said, excuse me, you're doing what? And this is doing COVID. So, of course, people are isolated in their houses and you don't see people. So nobody could say, hey, what's going on? Because we were all in the house pretty much 24-7. And so I said, okay, well, I'm coming to Mississippi. I'm going to put on a mask. I'm going to do whatever, but I'm coming because I need to see what's going on. And come to find out, I actually took her to the hospital. She had the MRI. She had a a fracture in her thoracic bone, her vertebrae, then T2. And it was compressing her spine, but she had metastasis all throughout her vertebrae. So the only thing they could do was give her a big dose of radiation. She she wouldn't walk again, of course. By that time, both legs were um, weak and not working. And her, um, so they kept her there for a couple of days. But for her, I don't know that she necessarily prayed for healing anymore. Her prayer had become, okay, Jesus, I'm ready to go home now. And for my uncle, who's actually a pastor, I asked him, I said, when she started praying that way, how did that make you feel? Because of course, everyone always prays for healing and believe God can. And he said, well, when she changed her desire, I had to change mine. And I said, wow, is that what true love look like? Is that how that's supposed to feel? Oh my gosh. You were not selfish enough to try to keep her here because she was ready to go. And uh, I'm sure for more than one reason, like I said, her daughter died a year, what, two years, not even a year before. Mm-hmm. So he was okay with letting her go because that's what she wanted. And I said, that in and of itself, amazing. I said, wow, how can we do that? And for her, she never had a sad day. Even when I talked to her, she died two weeks after that. Even when mm-hmm. I talked to her and she was kind of out of it, how you doing? I love you. I was like, look at this lady. She never complained. Wow. So it's just amazing to have those examples and experiences. And I'm glad I actually got to spend that time with her, not knowing what was coming or what was going to happen. And just to hear how she walked through it and how my uncle walked through it, 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 it just gives you hope. And it makes you kind of understand. It's like, okay, yeah, at the end of the day, this really isn't about me. It is, but yeah. it isn't. <laughs> and when you when you say it gives you hope, mm-hmm. gives you hope for what? What are you referring to? Hope for filling that blank. It gives me hope, one, in mankind and humanity. It gives me hope to know that people will know God enough to know that you can go through a difficult, challenging situation and not lose your mind and not be depressed and still have joy. Because at the end of the day, the outcome, whether it's what we define as good or bad or indifferent, it's okay. Because either way, there's going to be purpose for it. So it gives me hope to know that, um, walking day by day that some purpose have has come from everything that I've gotten to experience even with them and even just sharing that it may touch someone or change someone's life or change someone's trajectory because a lot of times we really don't know and I'm sure gosh you see it all the time because that's what you do and even I see it a little bit on the emergency side but you just never know that one hey, how you doing? Or that one, I walked up, I was actually in Mississippi going to get a massage and I had a shirt said coffee, hug in a mug. And the receptionist, she looked at me, she said, I like that shirt. I said, do you need a hug? And she just grabbed me and she would mm-hmm. not let go. I said, you just never know when somebody may need something from you and it saves their life. 
Yeah. And there's um there's stories in your book about similar situations. Um, I don't want to talk about or reveal each one. I'd like for listeners, I'd like for you guys to go and um, support Dr. Anderson. But beyond the support, this is really important for you to read and comprehend and process because this really is a book about fear, uncertainty, um, the concept of dying, which a lot of us don't like to acknowledge that we're not here forever and that we really should be preparing for what's after life on earth. Mm-hmm. The stories in here, including the neighbor who whose mother killed herself when she was 15. Mm-hmm. You know, and people being able to find purpose and move beyond hopelessness, as you mm-hmm. mentioned. There's um in the beginning of this of our, our of our chat tonight, you mentioned being diagnosed with DCIS, which actually later you reveal, or somewhere in the book you reveal that it was actually not that simple. Your mm-hmm. cancer was a little more complicated. Yes. So yes, once they told me that diagnosis in my mind, it's like, okay, we're gonna have a double mastectomy and move on with life. I'll be out of work about six months to recover from surgery. So of course you go in, you have the surgery, they do left nose, mine were negative. However, the biopsy came back um, with some invasive uh, ductal carcinoma. And then based upon how large or not they are, they kind of decide what treatment you need. And mine ended up being HER2 positive and estrogen receptor positive. And the other receptive is progesterone for people who don't know. So people who have the triple negative just don't really know what we're treating. So we're trying to treat everything. But for me, I had targeted treatment for the HER2, which included uh, infusion every three weeks for a year. And I'm on tamoxifen, which is a medicine for estrogen receptor positive. Initial is for five years. Recently, the studies have changed. Now I have to take that for 10 years. So in my mind, like I said, that control thing, what I think I'm going to control since I got to deal with this diagnosos, I'm going to control this part of it <laughs> when i when I'm off work, when I go back, <laughs> and how long this going to take. And so that whole process turned into an eighteen month process and, and especially over with the pandemic, because in my mind, I'm like, okay, if I get sick and die, am I going to be okay with that? Um, you know, just kind of putting myself out there. So for me, my quality of life was more important to kind of focus on. So like I said, staying out six months turned into 18. And even now I didn't go back full time. I only worked 12 shifts a month, if even that. Um, so it has still actually created some change in my life that I didn't think would happen. I went from working 20, 20 plus shifts a month to maybe 10 to 12. Um, so yeah, it, it has really, really changed some things that I didn't expect inadvertently. And and I'm okay with it. So what yeah, do you sometimes- think what was the um because I, you know, I don't want to make any assumptions and I don't want the listeners to assume either. Going from more hours of work to less hours of work. Mm-hmm. That's the that was what is your reason for doing that? Why do you work less than what you worked before? So initially, um, oh, and in the process too of treatment, I had radiation for six weeks. I did not do any chemotherapy. Um, and that actually was a whole conversation um, that they wanted to offer, but I, I, I declined it because we were already doing so much. And the studies just didn't support it. And I get being aggressive, but at the same time, like I said, quality of life was more important to me because I'm I'm pretty active and kind of wanted to stay that way. Yeah. And let me just interject really quickly that you are a trained board certified specialist mm-hmm. who you're able to go, you know what references to go to and look up information to help you make an informed decision as a as a patient to have these conversations with your doctors 
But imagine lay people mm-hmm. trying to sort all this out, yes. trying to decide, do I do radiation and chemo or just chemo or radiation or, you know, do I have to have a mastectomy? Um, and you, you said, you know, it was a challenging situation and this is coming from a board certified specialist. Yes. And, and that's the hard part. And I really learned a lot of empathy being the patient and actually getting to sit and hear stories from other patients. And for me, um, at this point, I really thought about it. I was like, what can I do to help patients be advocate for themselves? Yes, I'm trained in medicine, but it's a different language, oncology. So yeah. we all have our different areas. And they didn't, the doctors appreciate them and I'm grateful for everything, but they, they were not listening to me. <laughs> they were not listening to what I wanted for my life. <laughs> they just kept telling me what they want for my life. And I'm like, oh, so in my mind, I'm thinking if I'm having this much trouble communicating and articulating to you and we're speaking the same language, clearly, like you're saying for a lay person, one, you're scared. And all you think, I don't want to die. So you're going to do everything anybody tells you because you don't want to die unless you want to die. And sometimes that's the hard part, but everybody is an individual. So you have to take that into consideration. What does that person want for their life? And it's okay if they don't want something for their life. For me, chemotherapy, I had the whole conversation with the oncologist and we sat there and talked about 45 minutes and I just changed the subject started talking about her son because she was frustrating me and then at the end of the visit she said well can I go ahead and set you up to get a port put in I'm like for what no we're not doing that (laughs) and so she sent me to another breast surgeon because she wanted to get his opinion one of the top surgeons and I actually had his cell phone number because he's actually from Dominica where I went to school and so I called I was like hey they're gonna call you to consult on me. I was like, this is what I want. This is what I'm thinking. And he just simply said, well, Stephanie, well, what if it comes back? It's stage one now, but what if it comes back worse? I said, well, what if it doesn't? I said, why do we get so stuck on the what if it does? And it's kind of like you're saying, I believe either way, whatever my outcome is supposed to be, it's going to be that regardless. And I was like, and I'm okay with doing evidence-based medicine, but you can't prove to me why I need to do four additional toxic medicines, put that in my system. I said, you, you just can't, you, you can't prove to me why I need to do that. There's just not enough information for that when we're already doing so much. So yes, having those conversations or even having somebody who can help you kind of process through the conversation. It's not just about cancer, about any medical condition any situation any trauma to life because we all have it just has a different name we we all have them mine was breast cancer somebody else's maybe like you said depression loss of a family member a car accident and it's not a, a a minimum or a maximum something what someone deems as small could be be a catastrophe for someone else so don't ever think that seeking help or asking those questions is a problem because it isn't because everybody is different and I think stepping back to understand it that's why I don't work so much because I really want kind of like you said need to take that time and and be self-aware and manage myself number one to help or understand or be useful for anybody else or to even learn from anybody else I realized I had missed so much by way of family, friends, just being focused on, you know, the rat race, come out of residency, you think you're just supposed to work all these hours and do this and do that. And yeah, it has its place. But at the end of the day, what am I going to miss most when I leave here? Or if I'm in a situation where I can't do anything, or I'm in a situation where I'm lying in a bed, I don't think it's going to be working. I just really don't. So I've kind of adjusted my life to kind of do more so what I want to do. Talk on podcasts with you, um, go out to different events, um, just take time and 
be available to listen to someone if they have a question. I get so many phone calls from different people who are receiving different diagnoses, especially on the breast cancer side. And I just sit there and listen. And one lady was telling me, she said, they did not hear me. I said, I know. I said, I feel you and I'm so sorry. And her only comment was she wanted to consider alternative medicine. She wants to consider some alternative therapies and they were not hearing it. And I said, I'm so sorry. Because at the end of the day, you just want to feel valued and heard and feel like it's your choice regardless. Now, my mom, I think she had a hard time when I chose not to do chemo, but she never said anything. You know, you can see things in people's faces. She's going to support whatever I chose to do. But it felt good to not have to validate my why, if that makes sense. I didn't have to explain Mm -hmm. it. It was just like, okay, we'll support whatever you want to do. And sometimes that's, that's the good thing. One lady I met, her hair had fallen out. I think we were doing radiation together. And she said, my family is so supportive, but they don't understand. She said, then this lady said, she was talking about her hair. She said, she said, it'll grow back. I said, that's not the point, is it? She said, no, it isn't. She just wanted to be heard and express her feelings about her hair falling out. <laughs> not that it'll grow back. You know, right. that's not the point in that moment. So, so I think just having that time sometimes, because we get so busy, so busy with life, we do, and it's fair, but I think sometimes we miss opportunities, so that's one reason I've kind of stepped it back quite a bit. Okay, thank you, thank you for that, that comprehensive response that's so just forthcoming and transparent. Mm -hmm. Um. Besides the podcast, besides your blog, besides um, writing this book, you know, and helping other folks, what have you filled those those days with, those days when you're usually in the ER? What other things have you been doing? Um, you were, or you, I'm sure you still, you, you are definitely still an athlete. You're still in great shape. <laughs> you look like, I mean, I, I just feel like with certain folks, once an athlete, always an athlete. Were you a track star or what were you doing that was athletic? I ran track um, distance, of course, and I played basketball. Yeah. Yeah, I've always been pretty, pretty active or in the country. We call it tomboyish. (laughs) Uh (laughs) My goal was kind of, hey, you can do it. I'm going to do it too. So, yeah. And then, of course, fast forward to the military side of it. We always have to take that little thing called a PT test. (laughs) right <laughs> so I've always tried to um stay up on my fitness and do the gym and now I actually do crossfit um so and I, I'm usually there if I'm off work as much every day that I'm not working except Sunday so that kind of keeps me busy and a lot of reading um just different books about different things and just talking to different people um traveling so yeah pretty much anything that comes on like okay I'll be there (laughs) okay so we're almost out of here guys we're about to wrap up um I'm going to ask you a question that you pose at the end of chapter one that question is what motivates you during your tough situations and and actually let me step aside for a second would you say this is the toughest situation you have to to manage in your life thus far Mm, no I don't think it is actually um I think actually when when situations deal with other people I have a harder time when it's just me at the end of the day I'm like okay I'm gonna be okay you know regardless even if it's something really bad that happens to me from somebody else which has been the case I just won't go into detail about it now um, where somewhere someone kind of assaulted me and I said a lot of people may respond with low self-esteem depression suicide ideations and those type things but that never was my story um so for me I know it's going to be okay one way or the other regardless if it isn't if that makes sense so when stuff happens or 
it affects other people and I'm involved in the situation, that's usually harder for me because I don't know what their response is going to be. I don't know that they're going to be okay based upon what happened. And uh, just a, a prelude of prime situation for me, uh, when I was, I was assaulted, it was by my ex-husband. Um, and I came to learn that he had assaulted some other women and a couple of them tried to commit suicide. So for me, that was worse than what happened to me. So I think fast forward learning from that situation and really understanding everything was okay, regardless of all that happened and all that transpired. I'm still here today. I'm still standing and it's okay. It was bad, but it's okay. You know, and it has formed me into who I am today. So even fast forward to having breast cancer, I was like, okay, this don't include anybody else. You know, it, it affects other people, but for the most part, it's my mind that has to be, has to wrap around it. Not more so if I have to worry about how someone else is feeling, how they're going to take it. Although I did, but it was, it, I guess in that sense, it was more of, okay, but the decisions I make, they're going to affect me personally. So oh. I think that that kind of motivates me to know that it's like at the end of the day, regardless if I live, if I die, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And getting out of here, I think I'm going to conclude with reading um, another piece from your book. Um, and then ask you one last question and that question will take us out your response will take us out of here. But in your book, you state, we were never promised a comfortable life, a loving family, respectable kids, the perfect job, or no health challenges, but we, but we are given hope in the midst of each and every crisis. Mm -hmm. If we could really grasp and understand as James proclaimed, counting it all as joy. Let me say that again counting it all as joy. This means standing in the pain, hurt, trial, disappointment, or challenge with an attitude of expectation. Mm -hmm. The purpose of the process will be worthwhile. Although the process of pruning is uncomfortable, the end result will be God being glorified. And my life, and circumstances in a much better realm of the living. I love that paragraph. Thank you. Yes. Life, life is unpredictable and yet it's a journey. But at the end of the day, we can find purpose and fulfillment in all of the battles, all of the things that we go through. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter where we're crawling, whether we're walking, we're, we're still moving forward. And it's just a matter of how we want to move forward with that. Because sometimes, as I said in the book, the worst thing ever in our mind, in the moment that is happening, could be the best thing that happens in our life. And then we turn that into our passion for living every day. We have so much untapped potential. And I think situations the pruning the pressure sometimes bring out the better us and I kind of like the better me even though I didn't expect her to come out so yes so at the end of the day take it all in stride because I think it's going to make each and every one of us better together and better in our communities better in this world. Amen. So my question to you was going to be, what are some last words for the listeners? But I think you've already, you've given us those last words, those last valuable words. Yes. Yes. And thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yes. So at the end of the day, I'm just really on want all of us to be our best self. Yeah. Yep. 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 And thank you so much, uh, Dr. Major Anderson for being um, so open and vulnerable and um, sharing 
a part of your journey, um, so much of your journey, including the fear that you didn't feel, which is amazing to me. Mm-hmm. And the courage you exhibited along your, your journey. Whew. So you came out the other side as pure gold. Mm-hmm. I was still in the process, right? <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, you guys have been listening to Dr. Anderson. Um, Dr. Anderson, say brain love. Brain love. It's the end of an episode. Thank you guys for joining me on my couch. It's been a pleasure. It's Dr. Delvina. Remember, every day you must have brain love. Balance. You can't have all work and no play, and you can't have all play and no work. Reframe. Reframe your negative thinking. Think positively. Avoid negative people. Inside, everything you need It's inside of you. Look inside yourself. Needs. Know your needs. Your needs come first, not everyone else's. Limitations. Limit your expectations of yourself. Ownership. Own your mistakes. Learn from them and move on. Vengeance is not yours. It's the Lord's. Express yourself. Every day, meaningful communication. Don't go to bed angry. And that's been my show, guys. Brain love.